Hey everybody, it's Matthew Caritas, aka Samurai Cop. And you're listening to The Splat House. So sit back, keep it warm. Bingo. Me and Jerry Garcia. We met up at a Whole Foods He wore a fake mustache, nose and shades I said, hey there, Big Jerry Could it really be you? He said, nah man, my name is actually Wavy Gravy We laughed at Wavy Gravy What a fucking tool, I said Jerry just laughed and scratched his lip I offered to buy him a beer Said I was his number one fan That I just wanted to give something back He said he quit drinking Said that shit'll kill you. Then he snorted some white stuff off his thumb He said, I'm going disc golfing. Man, that shit's a total rush. And I replied, yeah, totally. He invited me to come to the disc golf course with him. He said he would escort me cordially. I answered, hell yeah, Jerry. And I hopped in his shopping cart And he pushed me like the wind under a rainbow Everything was slow motion It was sheer romance at its best And we both knew one of us wasn't gay We got to the course About an hour later And Jerry... He showed me his abs He pulled out a fat bag of weed Called it the golden joy Because this shit was literally dipped in gold He sold some to a 12 year old About an ounce for three bucks He did it out of sheer peace and harmony Jerry packed us a bowl He never ceased to amaze me His pipe was a bar of oatmeal soap Shit started getting weird And Jerry began to speak in tongues And some jibber-jabber about all these bears He fell flat on his face Started sobbing hysterically And guitar solos bled out of his ears I pissed my pants a little Just couldn't stop laughing Came to realize I was in a cartoon And the world was now one And I was one with the world And Jerry Garcia had all of his fingers 
Then Big Jerry touched my leg and he cried. When will people realize that we had better songs than Touch of Grey? I felt kind of bad now. And I asked him what song that was. And then he sang, I will get back. Said, oh yeah, that's right. And I covered my eyes so that Jerry couldn't tell that was the only dead song I know. I asked if he was into magic cards. He said, no, that shit is for queers and hippies. But I'm always down for a game of pogs. I said, pogs can eat a dick. And that deeply offended him. That's when he reached inside his dirty Jansport. He pulled out a jar of liquid. He put a single tear inside. We sat there in silence until he punched my ear. I knew that I deserved it, so I let him do it again. Then I grabbed a handful of his beard. He tried to get it back from me. He said he couldn't play without it. I said you couldn't play with it, dude. And I ran. The moral of this story is Mr. Garcia's a legend. And would anybody like to buy some of his beard? I let that go on way too long. This is Mike D for Splathouse 63. The Remix. Hello. We are here this week to discuss the little-known horror classic, which has just been brought back into the mainstream. I am speaking, of course, of 1982's classic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Splat House interview. For your listening enjoyment today, it is my very special privilege to bring to you a woman whose body of work is very, very dear to my heart place. 
Our guest today is best known for her role as the eyepatch-adorned, cotton-ball-brandishing Nadine Hurley in David Lynch's cult TV show, Twin Peaks. Now, as you all know by now, the topic of today's Splathouse is Wes Craven's 1991 horror, The People Under the Stairs, in which our guest plays one half of the sadistic brother-sister-mommy-daddy duo. That's right, Splatters. It is our privilege to welcome to the Splat House, Ms. Wendy Roby. Let's go ahead and jump on in. Um, while I was doing my research, I was surprised to discover that The People Under the Stairs was actually your feature film debut. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the project? Ah, well, I was shooting Twin Peaks, and I got a call to audition at the... Um, the casting director was Eileen Knight, and it was right toward the end. I mean, we were really shooting, we were shooting the finale, so it was very late in 1990. And so I, I auditioned, and when I was leaving, Eileen asked me if um, Everett was in town. And I said, well, yes, we just worked last night. He's here. So... She thought he would be splendid to be to play the husband, brother, daddy, guy, <laughs> and so we were both we were both cast together. So we just sort of hopped from the one thing to the other, and we had the weekend off. So it was great. That was that's one of my next questions. Actually, was about um, your partnership with Everett. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, Everett and and Wendy, uh, also play opposite each other in Twin Peaks. Um, can you talk a little bit about that partnership? You obviously have very strong chemistry and a very strong bond on stage. So can you talk a little bit about working with Everett? It was wonderful. It was great. I was so lucky because I, I had never worked on camera before. So I think all that I learned about that, I learned from Everett. For example, the names of the boxes that you climb on. I remember them saying, oh, get her, get her an apple and uh, a pancake. And I turned to Everett and I said, I, I can't eat before I work. It really, I just can't do that. And he said, no, 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 that's not, that's not what that is. Don't worry about that. And, you know, what a boom is and why all those people were crouched down because they were trying to get out of our eye line. I mean, the things that you wouldn't think of, I hadn't, you know, I had no idea what that was about. So it was thanks to Everett that I didn't look like an idiot all the time. So do you come from a, a theater background? Yes. Okay. That makes I a lot more sense. I was in Seattle when I was, when I was cast in the pilot of, of Twin Peaks, and that's what brought me to L.A. Oh, wow. Yes. So thanks to David Lynch and Wes Craven, I seem to play a lot of characters who, um, oh, how to put this, I have a sort of intensity. <laughs> right, right. Yes, yes, very intense. So my right. friends would used to call me psycho bitch. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they meant it kindly. I'm sure they meant it. I'm sure. Well, I mean, if, if you look at your IMDb, your IMDb, rather, and your Wikipedia page, um, it does say that you are best known for playing eccentric, emotionally disturbed women. Um <laughs> So what are, what are your feelings on that legacy? Um, you know, you kind of, you accept the jobs you're offered, don't you? You know, if I can play a part, I just say, yes, please. And that seems to be what, and if you're going to be typecast, isn't that more interesting than 
you know, being the jolly neighbor. Absolutely. So, you know, it's fun. So you actually did two films with Wes Craven. Can you talk a little bit about working with, I don't know, a master of horror? Because I think he's definitely established himself as that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I was very fond of, of Wes and always grateful always grateful for the opportunities he gave me and he makes a wonderful wonderful life on the set it's what you always hope for with a director whether you're working in a film or if you're working on a play for a director to make what I call the safe place and he does that which is really important in something like you know when you're making a horror film to make a safe place so that you can go as dark and as deep as necessary and you trust you trust your director to pull you back, you know, if it's too much or to you know, to shape it and to and to expect David does this too, that you he knows very well that you're going to do just what he needs you to do. He has absolute confidence in your ability to um, make whatever he needs happen. And, and so you just go with that confidence and you, you do your very best work because he has such faith in you. That's what you look for in a director. And, you know, that was Wes. That was Wes. Also, he was brilliant and such a gentleman. And um, it's so funny. He had this wonderful, uh, dry sense of humor. So it was a treat. It was a treat to work with him. Hmm. Do you have um, any fun stories to share with our audience um, that pop into your head, specifically about working with him on People Under the Stairs? I think one of my favorite things, working on People Under the Stairs, was working with the dogs. I love dogs. And... Um, we had, <laughs> we had, I think there were actually five dogs that played the dog, mm-hmm. uh, that big scary dog, Prince. because they all had different skills. And the trainer was very, um, very protective of the dogs. And, it, you, you know, there were rules about, there were certain, I mean, I think, I think one of the dogs, Schultz, no one ever went near because Schultz's particular skill was a very scary sort of attack mode thing. So you didn't get near Schultz. But Bubba, Bubba was a lot friendlier and Bubba was, for, you know, more of the, you know, close-up work that we had to do. <laughs> and then there were, there were a couple of other dogs and then there were pieces of, do- you know, stuffed dogs or even there was a paw that was used for something. And there were some, I remember one particular night watching all the, you know, watching the dailies and there was this the camera was on the living room. You just saw the living room. And then you'd see, it was when the guys were reaching for the electrified uh, doorknob. Mm-hmm. And it would go, and then it would hit, I think Ving, Ving would, it would touch Ving's hand and it would, and it'd go through him and then it'd go through Brandon. And then it'd go through the dog that was, you know, had his teeth in the, in the, can't leg or something mm-hmm. and everyone would and then you'd see an image of the living room and you'd see the stuffed dog fly across the screen and land in the and it was so it was hilarious it was hilarious I loved watching you know the stuffed dog flying through the air and landing <laughs> in the 
and that, that was good. And then it would be done over and over in different directions to just make sure it was all correct. And then there was one day they had a, a hand of, you know, it was a special effects, just a hand sort of gel. It really looked like a guy's hand severed. And I remember walking around carrying it just because I thought it was hilarious and bringing it to the set. I think somewhere even I have a, a Polaroid. Somebody took a picture of me holding this hand you know, out from my wearing an apron, carrying the hand. And I brought it down. To, and this was the hand that the dog was supposed to be chewing. And then the dog would spit out the, the silver ring. So I remember doing this where I'm supposed to, I'm down squatting by the dog and he's chewing. <laughs> this was Bubba. And he's chewing on the hand. But there, I could see that there was a wire inside one of the fingers and it was inside the dog's mouth. I thought, oh no, oh no, this could go through his... And Wes is posting, he's filming, they're filming this and they're going, okay, doing it. And they saw me reach my hand into the dog's mouth to pull out this wire to save the dog from, you know, piercing his mouth. And they're, they're yelling, no, no, Wendy, get your hand out of this. Stop, Wendy, don't. And I pulled it out and showed it to him and the wire. And after that, I had special privilege. I was allowed to play with Bubba anytime I wanted. That's awesome. <laughs> Bubba and I were buddies. <laughs> oh, I mean, Bubba is definitely terrifying. Well, I'm thinking of like the close-ups. I just rewatched the movie. Um, I've seen it so many times. I think I saw it for the first time when I was eight years old. Um, oh and then my I, gosh! I'm I know, so way too young, right? <laughs> and was totally traumatized by it. And it was oh, one of those we have movies. Much to answer for <laughs> right, or rather, why was I watching it at eight years old? I think it was at a friend's birthday party or something. I definitely wasn't allowed to watch those kind of movies. And um, I remember. I was told, you know, I was told later, somebody told me this, that um, people under the stairs had an afterlife as a real favorite at slumber parties. Mm hmm. It definitely did. I mean, we, I, I, God, I think I was in college. It was about 10 years ago that I decided I was going to re examine people under the stairs because I remembered it as being so terrifying. And it holds up. It's still so well done, um, emotionally disturbing, but at the same time, there's, there's a fun to it, right? Which is what makes Wes's work so dynamic and so interesting. Um, that myself now as a 32-year-old can re-watch it for probably the 20th time and still be so impressed. Thank you, on behalf of all. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, what are you working on now? Um, actually, we're, we're in previews now for Dangerous Liaisons. Christopher Hampton's play Dangerous Liaisons, oh. also called Les Liaisons Dangereux, mm -hmm. um, here um, at Act Theatre in Seattle. And who are you playing in, in Dangerous Liaisons? I am Madame Rosamond. Of She's course. Valmont's auntie. Awesome. She, she, she has a chateau, and they come to her chateau, and things happen. Yes, yes. All right, um, one last thing. I mean, I can't leave this conversation without talking a little bit more about this. Um, you were on Twin Peaks for two seasons, um, and I know you can't talk about the upcoming season, so I won't even go there. Um, Thank you. Yes. yes. No, I'm sworn to secrecy. Right. We know. I, I, I did lots of research and I was like, okay, so there's a no disclosure here. Um, but can you talk a little bit about 
working on Twin Peaks and specifically working with Lynch. I know you touched on it a little bit, um, but more about your relationship with Lynch and um, I don't know, his style and what it's like working on a Lynch project. It's unlike anything else I've ever done. It's absolutely inspiring. He truly does create a world where you, again, like I said, you do your best work. And he, he has a way of working with actors. I think it's, he works with everyone in a wonderfully respectful, joyful way, which is what makes the darkness and the mystery possible. But what he'll do with you as an actor is he'll give you a secret and it's like a little it's like a little key for you and then you just go with that and I have a feeling it's you know it's different for every for every person for every task for every and he he's able to see it all he's able to put the whole puzzle together um, but it's I, I don't know how to describe it it's it's spiritual it's fun it's hilarious and moving, very moving. There's great respect for who these people are, these, these citizens of Twin Peaks. There's great love and respect for all of them and, and a real understanding that there is, there is mystery in the world and there is darkness and there is evil and, and great beauty. I think David is very moved by broken beauty, um, something that's, that's damaged, and then what happens after that. It's not that we paper over the damage, but how we are at those broken places and how we connect in our broken places. I always feel that we could end bigotry in a moment if we could truly feel the pain of our brother. You know, you don't objectify another person once you've, once you've been in their shoes, once you've felt their pain, you know. Absolutely. So, hmm. I don't know if, if that makes any sense or if I wandered oh, off into the weeds there. No, it absolutely, that's exactly, I mean, that's, that's what I was looking for. Um, that he brings you in um, to be a part of this journey with him, both as a character and as a performer. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. And you just go there. You just take that journey, you know. So there was one thing that I wanted to say about the people under the stairs that um, I'm not sure a lot of people know, but it was inspired that, uh, you know, Wes, this story was inspired by something that Wes read in the paper in Santa Monica. It was a true event that I think he cut this out of the paper because, you know, it was sort of astonishing. Then he stuck it in a drawer, and 12 years later, you know, he, he wrote this movie. But there was an incident in Santa Monica where um, there was a robbery in a house that it was broken into. And when the police arrived... They discovered a locked room in the house. It was you know the the couple who lived there weren't weren't at home, and but they saw this locked room, and they unlocked it, and there were two children in there. 
that no one knew about. No one in the neighborhood knew that there were children living there. And they'd never seen the light of day. And it was like no one knew of their existence. Wow. And that's the idea of the people under the stairs. And then in, and it was also, um, you know, the politics of that time, um, which was, you know, the late 80s. But it's about taking that most magical part of ourselves and that is imprisoned and denied, you know, the people under the stairs. Yeah, and I and I feel like as I'm watching it now, it's um, it's appropriate for for what we're going through right now with gentrification as well. I mean, that's the thing that struck me being living in the Bay Area um, and in Oakland in particular, <clears throat> and seeing what's happening with gentrification in our neighborhoods, and to think that the story that's 20 years old now. Um, more than that, um, is talking about something that's been happening forever. Um, I mean, it's taking it's taking this to to an extreme. So it's obviously a combination of that and the the what you were talking about the incident that happened twelve years before the movie was filmed. But um, yeah, it's I think that the film is still poignant for that reason. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. That we that we take, you know. So we use the metaphor, of course, of our children to, to, you know, that which is magical and innocent in us and, and vulnerable and to capture it and tamp it down and, you know, imprisoned and denied. Right. Those are the two terms. And so, you know, there's that very serious and, you know, and hey, the kids prevail. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Horror movie with a happy ending. Totally. Well, not happy for me. <laughs> well, no, not happy for you, but I think happy for the audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whip it. 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 Growing up for most kids is a lot of fun. They're always doing things they shouldn't. We all remember our own secret little fantasies about our favorite teacher. Mr. Dickens, file those test papers. These pet fakers, man? Did you say file them? File. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> if you think these kids are a problem during the day, you should see them after school. Hell high. So what do you want to do tonight? I've been thinking about it. Some kids just don't know when they've gone too far. Do you like it this way? Yeah, you like it. You'll never learn, you retard. I'm gonna nail this bitch.
hell high. All right, we are back. <laughs> yes, John. It is time to clear your throat and get ready to tell a personal story. So in this next segment, we just want uh, to share with our beloved audience some uh, perverted tales from the Splat House. John? All right. You're up. You're up, buddy. I'm up because I've got a pervy story to tell. Um, probably shouldn't be telling this, but I'm going to. Um, so I was in a similar situation that Jamie is in in the movie when I was a child. My mom had just remarried, and her and her new husband, my stepdad, um, went on a trip to Europe for about two weeks and left me in the care of a attractive young lady, nanny. Uh, babysitter, whatever you call them. A nubile co-ed. Oh, there, ooh, there we go. Go on. And um, she lived in this kind of house, this kind of badass house on this kind of large property. Had like four-wheelers and shit like that, a lot of cool toys and stuff. It was a really cool place to hang out. Anyways, I totally had a crush on her and her other girlfriend who would hang out at the house pretty much all the time. And Pause. Can you be super clear on your age? Oh, yes. Sorry. I was about eight. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Eight or nine, something like that. And um, they caught on pretty quick that I had a massive crush on both of them. And, and, but they were kind of egging it along. They were, they were kind of, I think they were flattered by it in some weird way. And so, like, we were all kind of wrestling about and tickling and stuff in the bed. And they started realizing that I was kind of getting a little grabby and they were laughing at each other about it and thinking it was hilarious. And, and they then could I, see your and massive I, They probably could see that I them. probably had a, a little baby a little baby boy boner. <laughs> a a trollalog of your own. chub. A little baby and, corn. Um, <laughs> so we're all messing around and stuff. And then I start getting too touchy. And they're like, stop that. That's not okay. You know, because I think I had like, touched one of their butts or tried to grab a boob or something. And they were like, no. And then it turned into this kind of like wrestle tickle match where they're like telling me not to touch. That's not okay. And I thought it was a game still. Oh, you were, were trying playing. to find where you can touch. Exactly. Yeah. I thought it was still part of the game because I'm stupid, John, pervy boy, per, you know, puberty, whatever. And um, you keep looking at Sarah uh, I, she, for approval. Is this okay, Sarah? Just keep. <laughs> I'm, I'm more concerned about these women than I am about you in oh, this story right no, now. I'm, I'm tracking that, too. Yeah, I know. Keep your, keep your eyes on me, son. Okay, I'm here. Let's I'm do with it. you. All right, buddy. Okay, and so um, I kind of got a little, you know, I guess a, a aggressive for a little boy and kind of grabbed at one of their shirts and pulled it open and saw her tits, you know, in, in the brassiere. And um, I was like, ooh, I see them. <laughs> And then the girl whips around with the biggest slap. I think it has only been topped by one other slap I've gotten across the face in my life and kind of wheeled me off the bed. And I, you know, as as young kids are liable to do when they've just gotten hurt or something. And it wasn't as hurt as bad as they think that is, but they think they need to start crying. So I started doing one of those like fake half cries, you know, where I feel like I need to cry, but it didn't really hurt that bad. And they're like, oh, stop it. You're fine. And, uh, yeah, that was it. And then it was kind of a little awkward for the rest of the stay. 
for sure. You poor kid. <laughs> That's so You're right. Up. I think it is going to be awkward for the rest of today. <laughs> <laughs> That's my perf story. <laughs> all right. Jim, rock us. Uh, well, I wasn't all that young. This was about eight years ago, six years ago, something like that. You were 37. <laughs> it actually took place here at this loft that oh. we record in. Mm. Uh, Which is so, called the rat's nest, by the way, everybody. The rat's, the rat's nest. nest. <laughs> correct, correct. Um, so I, w- I was uh, doing online dating, and this is when, like, before Tinder or anything, I think OkCupid is what I was on. And I had heard from all these girls that, like, oh, it sucks. It sucks being a girl on online dating, you know, because it's just a bunch of fucking dudes showing their dicks all the time and being jerks and and so i'm like well i kind of kind of want to find out what that's like for a girl you know see the trials and tribulations of 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 what they go through so i made a fake profile of a female catfishing yeah keep going the long con i put a picture up of my friend a female and it was of her mouth open because I had it I was gonna do a collage with this new camera I had of a bunch of my friends mouths just open <laughs> close up <laughs> so I had one of a girl and I'm like okay this one looks like it's you know it's a little suggestive but like you can't tell who it is or anything like that and that was my like only photo <clears throat> well I recognize that mouth <laughs> I made a profile that was you know also a little bit suggestive but but pretty normal so I, I didn't want to ask for it too much you know so ask I did. for it? You didn't want to ask for it, Jim? No, Sorry. no, no. I mean, actually ask for it. Like, like <laughs> Please act- harass me. No, no, no. Really, like, like put it out there. Like, oh, I'm super I'm freak, sexy. Right? And, yeah, Tell right. me how no, 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 a no. female with a mouth is asking for it, Jim. I didn't say that. <laughs> Keep going, Jim. <laughs> but Keep going. Stay on track. Anyway, so I got flooded with uh, shitty mail from dudes oh, yeah. all over yep. you know, the bay. Coxwell. Uh, yeah, wanting to, you know, shove their cocks down my fucking throat and wanting to, you know, slap me and do all sorts of terrible shit that, you know, some people are into. It's fine. But, like, uh, it, totally unprovoked for the most part. Like, that's their introductory message. God. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I, di- I did this for, like, two weeks. I collected <laughs> messages and I messaged, you know, some of them back and stuff, but like was very neutral about it. And then uh, I had all of those guys who I, I sorted out the ones who were just normal guys trying to be normal from the pricks or what seemed like catfish dudes also who were just like, <laughs> I got a nice car, I got a big house, come on over and stuff like that. So I, I, I had all of those dudes meet me at the karaoke bar down the street on the same day, <laughs> same night, oh my and it God. was it was really? gonna be it was supposed to be karaoke night, and and I had I had like thirty dudes lined up to meet me at this bar, <laughs> and of course they all thought they were the only one coming to meet me. This girl, Jim. This sounds like a quick way to get murdered. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also sounds fucking brilliant, Jim. Carry oh, yes. on. Extremely. It's it's both genius and crazy. So, um, me and my roommate, 
uh, Beansy. <laughs> I love that Beansy's there. We, we went there about half an hour or an hour late of when we, we were supposed to, I was supposed to meet these guys. And I got there and it wasn't even karaoke. There was a really like loud metal band playing the whole time. And this is a really, really shitty dive bar, like just awful. Uh, so there was like, there's like six of them still hanging around and looking pretty mopey. The diehards. And so me and... Because they're going to die very hard <laughs> in their band. So me and Beansy, I, I closed out the, the the profile. I canceled it when I went over there. Me and Beansy went there acting like two guys who were supposed to have a threesome with this fake girl so that we could talk to these dudes and hear their side of it too and like just catch their reactions about it and and we were just like what that's crazy she was gonna fuck the both of us and what we're all idiots uh <laughs> and then we just hung out oh and got God. wasted there and talked with a lot of these dudes for a while and and uh and yeah that's that was it Patriotic sports music blasts over the intercom. Willard, the groundskeeper repairman, exits from the sports complex building suspiciously as Mary and Kendall walk up, ready to tennis, but concerned about the loud music playing with seemingly no one around. Willard, what the hell is that music playing for? They must be testing the system. But who? I thought that was your job. No way, lady. I just take care of the grounds. All the electronics was someone else's headache. Kendall, call the dean's office and find out if they're testing that equipment. There's a phone in the janitor's room. Willard has the key. Looking to Willard. No one's allowed to use that phone. Come on, I'll take responsibility. Wait over there. What was that? What? I don't know. I I thought I heard a scream or something. As Willard approaches her from behind, surprising her. Where are the controls? That music is driving me crazy. Over there. Follow me. Come on. Hey, these aren't my keys. Don't touch. They might have prints, I mean, if anything's happened. Willard reaches a flicks off the music, finally. They walk back to meet up with Kendall. Kendall? Kendall! Kendall, where are you? Uh... Uh... What happened? With blood on his hands. Another one in the locker room. It's Susie Billings. Mary walks into the locker room showers to see Susie Billings on the floor 
with the bottom half of her torso missing. She does all she can to keep from being sick. She walks out. You see it? Yes. While you were out there fumbling with the music, the lousy bastard was in there killing her. Bastard! 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 I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone You've just heard an exceptional reading from 1982's Pieces, read by Michael Delaney as Big Dong Kendall and John Terrell as Willard and Sarah Koykendall as Mary. And I, Jim Rook, would like to invite you to the, sp- <coughs> the Splat House. Welcome to What Do You Know, the game show that anybody can play. Today we're going to be talking about the sadist with Mickey Mick Scott Michael Hobbs from Oakland, California. Mick Scott, Mickey Michael, I would like to take this opportunity to welcome you to the show. Welcome to the show, Mick. Gee, uh, thank you, Jim. Scott. Yeah, yeah. Mickey. Oh, oh, definitely so. Michael. Yeah, yeah. Mick. Yeah. Baby. I, I like that last one. Before I get into asking you about your many names, riddle me this. What do you know? Well, I don't know much, but I know I love you. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you have so many names? Yeah, well, you know, um, it just worked out that way. Um, I, I, I was born Michael Scott Hobbs, um, and uh, my parents always called, my whole family called me Mickey. Went to kindergarten uh, and was called Mickey Mouse a lot. So, uh, yeah. So I started going by my middle name, Scott. Um, But then I went back to being Mickey or Mick again. I like Mickey. I I like Mickey. I'll call you Mickey from now on. Great. Mickey? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why do you live in Oakland? Uh, Well, you know, um, I just really like, I, I love crime. Um... You know, it's just something that I'm, I'm really into. Uh, sadly, though, um, 
the rent has gone up, and um, I, I kind of feel like maybe the crime has even gone down, which is... It's a bummer. That's sad. The bay is changing. Yeah. Yeah. Mickey. Yeah. What is Beansy? Well, uh, Beansy... Beansy, I think, is kind of a maybe a sex god. Maybe I don't know. Um, maybe just like a sex demi god. Hallelujah! Yeah, he's really sexy, um, and he uh, he dances for a terrific, uh, terrific band um, called For the Ladies. For the Ladies. Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know a ton about Beansy other than the fact he's really sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a great dancer. Mm-hmm. The band he dances for is terrific, and he and I can never be seen at the same place at the same time. You know, that's kind of like the Superman syndrome. A little bit. Weird. Except, except I, yeah, I'm not inferring that we're the same person. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, you're talking about Superman and Clark Kent. I'm just saying I've we are never in the same place. The same I time. was talking about Superman and Batman. Oh, yeah. Never in the same place. No. Um, I think there was a movie where maybe they were. Um, Ooh, Mick, are you ready yeah. to play the quiz? Yeah, let's, let's get that. Let's, let's just get this out of the way. Question number one. What was your favorite part of The Sadist? Oh God! It's so hard to pick a favorite part, but I would say where he, where he sends, Tibbs sends his girlfriend back into the house to get him the pie. That pie looks so good. Yum yum. Yeah, looked great. Okay, that's one question in the bag. Great. You're not on fire yet, but you're just as warm as apple pie. Oh, uh, I, I, that sounds good. Mmm. Yeah. Question number two. Okay. Mickey. Yeah. Are you related to Arch Hall Jr.? Oh, uh, not as far as I know. Uh, I would like to be. Do you know something? I don't know. Mayhaps. Okay. Well, I'll, t- I'll, I'll take that. We'll, we'll, I'll, uh. Final answer? I'm just, I'm going to go with yes. I'm so sorry. Oh, can I change to no? Nope. Just like George Michael, you're stuck with those jeans forever. Uh, well, fair. That's fair. Question number three. Watch out for snakes. No, 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 no. Good job, Mick. You've got three out of three. Whoa. That's a spicy, a surely temple. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Question number four. In the game of baseball, yeah. who won Rookie of the Year in 1963? Gary Peters and Pete Rose. Wow. That was fast. Yeah. Hmm. Ooh. Though we appreciate accuracy here on What Do You Know, we certainly do not respect Speed. Ah, oh, what does that mean? It's dirty. You must really think about these things before you just go blurting off the right answers. Oh, oh, damn. Uh, can I try again? Question number five. Okay. Mickey? Yeah? Have you been hurt by others? 
I have been hurt by others. And I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to make them suffer. Like I've suffered. Yay! Yeah, all right. All right, hmm. Mickey. Cool. All right. Mickey Scott. Yeah. Mick. Yeah. Mickey Scott yeah. Michael. You, yeah, you You've see. won. No. Congratulations. Get the frick out yeah. of town. Yeah. It's you. All right. All five of you. C- cool. One, two, three, four, forever. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And you know what you've won? No. What do I get? What do I get? A free VIP subscription to the Splat House. No. Congratulations, Mick. That's like a, at least a 99. Take me out to the ball. Dollar. Game. 15. Me out. I don't know. Some, Bye-bye. Some high numbers. I don't know why you left me or what could have possessed me. I shouldn't have dropped my car. Well, the doctor says my mind is broke. The whiskey and the coke and smoking got me running hard. But I got a new identity. The cops they won't be finding me. How you know? No common parts. Well, you know you can't run from me. To find you, I'll swim the seas. I'll insulate myself in large To find me a girl. Where you gone? Tommy Forrester is dead. Tommy was going to be an engineer. He was 22, good-looking, personable, athletic. He had a high IQ. The dean said he had the best potential of any man in his class. But Tommy is dead. His problem was acid. Lysergic acid formula 25 called LSD. Hi there, this is uh, Brian Sauer, and uh, I am offering an appreciation of Mr. Pat Healy. He is an actor, writer, filmmaker, uh, cinephile, one of my favorite cinephiles actually. Um, I started to get to know Pat slightly through social media years and years ago. I want to say maybe it was Facebook. I can't remember. But regardless, we sort of connected early over a love of older films. I think it was 70s films specifically. I'm trying to remember the first ones. But anyway, right away, my respect for him was huge based on the fact that he was a working um, actor you know, in major movies who also had a great affection for older cinema, which I think is unfortunately maybe a little bit rare. But yeah, Pat has definitely turned me on to a fair number of good older films. And so I'm always sort of on the lookout for things that he is digging um, in a given year. As far as his movies, I love to see him anytime he pops up in something. Um, I think the first time I saw him was Ghost World, and that's definitely one of my favorites 
of, of his. It's a, it's a small role, but it's um it's pretty fantastic. And Ghost World is pretty fantastic. Um, so if you haven't seen that, I recommend it. The other ones I would say um, the Innkeepers, Ty West's movie, where Pat and Sarah Paxton have a really good chemistry. It's a good ghost story. I just think he really um, he he brings it up a notch. You know, the movie is good, but I feel like any movie where he's given a decent-sized role, Pat elevates uh, the whole thing. But uh, I think one of my favorites is this movie he did called Great World of Sound from corrector, sorry, director Craig Zobel, who he would do Compliance with um, after this one. And compliance is obviously a really great performance from Pat, but that's just a tough movie, so I don't return to that one a lot. But Great World of Sound um pat is a like a budding record producer um and it's just a really interesting funny look at that business and the sort of pitfalls of it and whatnot and i think it's very underseen um so i think more people should check it out but it's a great showcase for pat um and i appreciate it on that level most of all but uh yeah that's my favorite stuff from him i I, like i said i really enjoy everything i see him in he always makes me smile whenever uh he shows up in you know captain america winter soldier or whatever um i just think uh he should be used all the time that's just my opinion Take one, Salem's Lot, return, part two. Return to Salem's Lot. (laughs) (laughs) Part one, know the title of the film that you're working on. Return to Salem's Lot, part two. All right, let's see what you've got. I'm not a Nazi hunter. I am a Nazi killer. With a little more feeling, please, Mr. Delaney. I'm not a Nazi hunter. I'm a Nazi killer. Okay, so feeling doesn't mean louder. Okay. I want, to, I, want, I want you to feel this. Okay. You are not. Okay. I'm not a Nazi hunter. I'm a Nazi killer. Oh, God. Jim, let's see what you got. Hey, Quagmire. I'm not a Nazi hunter, really. I'm a Nazi killer. Okay, so something that uh, we have less copyright issues with. Hey, I'm not a Nazi hunter, really. I'm a Nazi killer. Can we go a little more Southern for me, Jim? Hey, I'm a Nazi... I mean, hillbilly Southern. I want want you to really hillbilly this the fuck out. Like a John Terrell sort of sound? (laughs) A little more hillbilly than that. But yes, that direction. Hey, I'm a... (laughs) I'm not a Nazi. <laughs> I'm not a Nazi hunter. I'm a Nazi killer. I think you still need a little more opossum in your teeth. Can I try um, the, yes. the southern thing? Yes, yes, go for it, Mr. Is, Delaney. Is, that's the direction. Yeah, so you want I'm that. looking okay. for I'm looking for possum in your fucking teeth. Hey, southern. I'm not a Nazi hunter. Okay, I'm a Nazi killer. Is that that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I, I'm I'm looking for a little more, um, a little more masculine. 
Okay. All yeah, right. a little more masculine. I'm not a Nazi hunter, man. I'm a Nazi killer, man. Good try, Mr. Lee. I like good Joe try. Dirt. That was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, good job. Good job. Okay. Uh, Jim, I want to, let's see. I want I want to hear, I want to hear something completely different from you. So how about we go with this uh, dinosaur screaming? I can't do that. I can do Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> I'm not a Nazi hunter. <laughs> I'm a Nazi killer. <laughs> Why is there still a southern accent to your Mickey Mouse? I'm not a Nazi hunter. <laughs> I'm a Nazi killer. <laughs> Lovely. Can we have a can we have it a little more uh, a little more Minnie Mouse? I don't know what she sounds like. She just speaks higher. I'm not a Nazi hunter. <laughs> I'm a Nazi killer. Beautiful, beautiful. What you got for us, Mr. Delaney? What you got? You got nothing? Okay, I want you to recite these lines okay. like you are throwing right. fucking nails fucking, at a saw blade. Fucking, like I'm fucking nails at a Yes, like you are throwing fucking nails at a saw blade. Okay. Like right. give give this shit like, to us. Wait, like it, give it to us. But the saw blade is on. It, it's like yes, a absolutely. The saw, saw blade is on. Okay. As like, Christopher wait. Walken. Wait, but with, with where's the saw blade going? Behind. So if I throw the nails at the saw blade, is it going to like reflect away, or is it going to come back towards? I don't know. We'll have to see, won't we? <laughs> oh fuck, mango. All right, let's do it. All right. I am not not Nazi hunter. I oh wait, no I no. I am I'm, not I'm a Nazi not, hunter. I'm not, I'm not feeling your fear I'm here, fucking, Mr. Delaney. I'm, scared I'm not of the, feeling the your fucking fear, nails coming okay? back. Okay, but I'm not I'm not feeling that fear. But why do I need fear? But okay, this I, line it's, it's a very It's just like the last time no, you did it. I need to feel it. No, this is a very confident line. No, look, listen. You don't need fear. You need to got to feel it. Fine, fine. Do it again. Do it again. All right. Don't fuck it up. All right. Just got to feel it. A saw blade. I'm not a Nazi hunter. I'm a Nazi killer. D- you suck. D- <laughs> do Christopher Walken. Yeah, do Christopher Walken. Hey, mm, I'm not a Nazi hunter, mm, really. I'm a Nazi killer. Okay. Pretty good. Let's do. Uh, let's do the guy from uh, that TV show you love so much. The one that makes you rub your leg whenever you're pretending to be mm-hmm. him. Yes. No, I'm, I'm not a Nazi hunter. <laughs> no, I'm a Nazi killer. How about now as Fantasia? <laughs> let's, just, let's just keep going. Hey, I'm not a Nazi hunter. I'm a Nazi killer. Now hang up the phone and come fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, can you do it on your what do you know voice? Oh, what voice is that? Hi, guys. <laughs> Are you a Nazi hunter? <laughs> I'm not a Nazi hunter. <laughs> I'm a Nazi killer. Beautiful. Great. All right. Now you go. Now my turn? Yeah, what do you, you got? Well, give me fucking direction. Right. Give me direction. Right. Marilyn Monroe. Oh. <laughs> Singing. <laughs> I'm not a Nazi hunter. I'm a Nazi killer. <laughs> All right, do it as Linda the chicken. Creepy. This is for Josh. This is for <laughs> That's awesome. Do it as Act Two Lavinia from Titus Andronicus. <laughs> All right, here, I got one more. I got one more. I got one more, okay? I'm not a Nazi hunter. I'm a Nazi killer. All right, let's, look, listen, everybody here. Punch fucking Nazis. If you yes. see a Nazi, 
You punch them in the fucking face. You don't punch them in the tummy, okay? You don't punch them in the shoulder. You punch them in the fucking face. If you can't hit their face because you're like 5'4", 5'2", 5'1". Hit him in the fucking ear. Hit him in the fucking neck. In the neck, in the the ear, in the fucking junk. In the fucking junk. junk. Yeah, the junk. Punch fucking Nazis. Fuck you, Nazis. Fuck you, Nazis. Fuck you, vampires. Fuck you, vampire Nazis. I like vampires. Hold on. Fuck all Nazi vampires. Okay. You're listening to the Splat House. Billy! That's my Arnold. Billy! I'm not a Nazi hunter! I'm a Nazi killer! Get it out! To the chopper! Billy! There was a time in my life when I was never During break, we had an emergency meeting of parliament. We knew that we needed to calm the fuck down. Uh-huh. We took some of Jim's Ativan that he takes before every interview he does on the show. And now we're calm. My heart rate, I think I've got about 15 beats a minute. I'm just trying to stay alive at this point. I feel really good about this. It's good. It's good. It okay. is good. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to raise hands. We're going to use inside voices. And when you see Quiet Coyote... Put your ears up, your eyes on me. Be ready to listen, okay? Is that an elementary school trick? John. Did you put your hand up, John? Quiet coyote, buddy. Sounds good to me. Let's go. Okay. We're back. We're going to talk now about the Splathouse remake of Rick Sloan's Hobgoblins. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, look, Rick Sloan kind of remade Hobgoblins already. He did it in the mid-aughts. He called it Hobgoblins 2, but it's basically a rehash of Hobgoblins, right? Yeah. Oh, and he totally. does he does a lot of self-referential stuff in this. And it's, it's not really a sequel to Hobgoblins. It's more of a remake. So we're not really going to remake it because the master himself has already done it. But I do want to go around and do our traditional part of the panel where we talk about how we would remake Hobgoblins. So – I've kind of put each person in charge of a little little something-something, um, and hopefully we get some gold out of this, yeah? So Ms. Sarah Quakendall, she's shaking her head no. <laughs> Don't You're... start with me always. <laughs> start with somebody else. God. Right. I will start. Look, All right. If we, were, if we were somehow in charge of a production, a remake of Hobgoblins, the, the place you got to start is who's writing it, who's directing it. Right. Okay? And that's, that's where I took... Liberties. Took liberties, uh-huh. yeah. Here's what I think. I think we go in with a writer slash director. Um, well, here, let me tell you my pick. I would pick Alexandra Aja to remake Hobgoblins, the the director who made High Tension. He remade The Hills Have Eyes. Ah, uh, yes. He did the the supernatural thriller with uh, Jack Bauer from 24, Mears, where, where Jack Bauer's scared of Mears. Yep. And he also did, and this is where I think he'd be great for Hobgoblins, he remade Joe Dante's Piranha. Mm. 
And he and he did it with camp. He did it with humor, and he did it with buckets of gore. Yes. So that's where I'd start. I'd start. I want someone who could do the camp of hobgoblins, as Mr. Aja has shown us that he could do. But I also want some gravitas. Mm-hmm. I want some actual thick viscous fluids, whether it be blood or cum, because we do have Fantasia and Miss Clitterbutt uh, in in the film. It's Clutterbuck. Oh, sir. Clutterbuck. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Clitterbuck. I thought it was the clitter, but <laughs> so if Alexander Aja, we're all familiar, yeah, yeah, okay. So if he's in charge of this production, how are how are we building this remake, Ms. Sarah Quakendall? You're in charge um, in our company around production design, right? You build the sets. You're you're a big part of uh, costume design. Pretty much everything. The <laughs> Every, sound. The yeah, sets, if it's the something costume, that someone's video, looking at, the yeah, performing, the, yeah. all the things. Um, so you want to talk about production design. Yeah, what would See, you do? With- I I'd like to go back to like what we do as a company here. Like we're really we're we're big into like immersive experiences and like hybrid production. So I want to go to the place that was Club Scum and have our entire like film, obviously our film take place at Club Scum. And I'm imagining like much more glitter. Like where, tinsel where, and where glitter. Where was Club Scum? Do we know where this was filmed? Um, yeah, it was. It later became a, a a record store. I believe it's a record store now. So we could get it. We could get a hold of it, right? And I'm thinking like lots of glitter, lots of tinsel, um, lots of spandex. We're gonna gut that bitch and make it fabulous. We're gonna gut it, and make it fabulous. Um, I, I would kind of like to base the whole physicality of Club Scum around the MC from Club Scum. You guys all remember mm. him? Oh. Like something out of a completely yes. different movie. Like I want to go all the way that direction. I want to go all the way John Waters. I want to make it grotesque. I- I'm with you on that. I want more extras though. I want us to but fill. Just like I want two us- more? No, I, I want a crowd. <laughs> a real crowd? Yeah. Or mannequins. I, I want mannequins. Like, that, that crazy MC and then a whole bunch of kids who like pretend like he's awesome when we all know he's and mannequins. Oh yeah, mannequins. And mannequins too, of missing course. body parts. Yeah, just, yes. just throw them in there. Yes. And you're, and you're talking the about the entire film taking place inside of the club and nowhere else. Yeah. So it's kind of like the green room with uh, hobgoblins. So Ooh, when yeah. We start yeah, yeah. with the MC's perspective, like him coming into work, and oh, I think that's a great oh, idea. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. He gets out of his little rapey van, does the. <laughs> And it's a long tracking shot, almost like Paul Thomas Anderson, where you follow the MC through the club. Oh, yeah, like the beginning of Boogie Nights. He's mm-hmm. glad handing mm-hmm. everybody. You start to meet all the eccentric extras. Mm-hmm. And then he goes up and he takes the center of the stage, welcomes everybody to Club Scum. Fucking hard cut to the title. Hobgoblins, a film by Alexandra Aja. Oh, man, it fucking there like, oh, See, I'm not even thinking of this as a remake, right? I'm thinking of using Hobgoblins as like source material, but not necessarily a remake is what it sounds like we're doing here. Like, we're doing a story within a story. Great. Right? We're, yeah. we're, we're adding to the original. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're, we're, we are creating the movie around what could have happened at Club Scum. We're buying the rights to Hobgoblins, probably from Vinegar Syndrome. And then we are, yeah, we're doing uh, an Inspired By. Right. right? We're doing yeah. Hobgoblins. Club Scum. Ho- ooh, Hobgoblins with a Z. Yes. This, shit, yes, this is like new yes, metal shit right yes, here. Exactly. Yeah, and the, the actual title is Club Scum. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, the actual title of the film of the mm-hmm. film is Club, Club Scum, Scum. and yes. I'm seeing I'm seeing like, like the letters of it are going to be kind of like bubbly, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to be bubbly with some fur, like the fucking hobgoblin has mange or some shit. Like we're keeping this hardcore metal. <laughs> mange. 
stage. Like, yeah, like when gremlins are in that transitional stage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but with the, with, with the green, like, manginess of, of hobgoblins. So, John. Yes. Who, who's playing our MC? Oh. Oh, I got exactly the guy. I don't know his name because I'm terrible with that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, the dude, the, uh, the guy from Girl Next Door, not the main kid, but the guy, the, the porn director, dude. Oh, Timothy Oliphant. Yes, yeah. Timothy Oliphant. Justified, exactly. Oh, That's that is our great. MC, for oh, sure. Oh, man. Timothy Oliphant mm-hmm. as the MC. That I think is... he would do a fantastic job. All right, round out our cast. So we have we have the MC. We're going to have to have a core group of, of kids, right? We also or... have to have a rocker, that one rock band that played that oh, one we're gonna, song. We're going to give they the rock band to, to Jim oh, Rock. Oh, oh yes. okay, yes, yes. Jim, I, I just request... A lot of pelvic thrusting. Oh, have you seen for the ladies? Not a problem. <laughs> you so saw Beansy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I want it from Jim. Oh, in a mange it. costume. You'll in get a it mangy from me. costume. <laughs> Good. Oh my god. What if what if the band are the hobgoblins? Oh shit, dog. What if like for the ladies are actually like Or like during the whoa, set whoa, whoa, whoa. we have some whoa, flashes whoa, whoa. and for the ladies disappear. The music come the music in. section's mine. Quiet coyote. Stay the fuck out of the music <laughs> section. This is my section. Quiet, all right. Well from the quiet design coyote. We're just designing quiet here. Coyote. All... Quiet I'm coyote. I'm raising my hand. Quiet coyote. Raising my hand? Your mouth is closed and your ears are ready. To... Yes, Sarah. Okay, well, from a design perspective, Jim may get to decide what kind of music he plays, but I get to decide what kind of costume he wears. So I think that he also needs to look like a mangy hobgoblin. That is true. Okay. But he hasn't even said if For the Ladies is going to be the house band in Clipscum. Just, just to be fair. Yeah. So <laughs> what I want to hear from John, though, before we pass it off to Jim, mm-hmm. is who else is in the cast? I love Timothy Oliphant as the MC. Okay, are we going with the main core group now? Yeah, since of we're kids? since we're kind of from and inspired by hobgoblins, that's also a plug for a great podcast. But since we're from and inspired by hobgoblins, we could we could switch it up. They don't have to be kids. They could be, you know. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, for Nick, the army dude. Shit. Uh, let's let's let's. And I kind of help my hate myself for saying this, but let's uh, go with uh, what's his name? Channing Tatum. Okay, yeah, All right. let's do that. That wasn't my choice, but no, it's always my choice. No, <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. I'm a big Magic Mike fan. Not ashamed at all. When saw the second one, screamed my ass off in the theater. It was a great experience. This could be a Magic no, Mike crossover, though. actually works out just fine. Uh, <laughs> Can it be a gay bar? Totally. It could totally be a gay bar. Please. It can't not be. It can't not be. We <laughs> yeah. have like. Well, if it's going to go gay, though, it needs to be like one of those gay club, gay bars where you go in and everyone is in fucking straps and leather and spikes. So the stud in San Francisco. Exactly. So we'll model it Thank after you. the stud. Yes. yes. Is that the place where we shot that? Uh... Yes, it is. That is where we <laughs> yeah. shot that video. That place is great. It is yeah. great. It just has to be any bar. Like, Near the Folsom Street Fair. Right, or like but, but a we're gonna mishmash be in LA. of the stud and Asia SF. So like huge amounts of burly fucking bear leather strapped, you know, manish gay dudes. And then a whole bunch of drag queens. Yeah. Anybody out there that doesn't know the stud in San Francisco, tweet at me. I'll, I'll send you the video that we made uh, a couple years ago. Which, was that a... 
That was In and Out Mission. In and Out Mission. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm in. I mean, you're in that too. Of course, oh, I'm in that. Oh my god. All right. Fucking all of those, bitch. All right. So look, all we have is Timothy Oliphant and uh, fucking and, Magic and Mike. Tatum. That's all we've got. Okay, for Daphne. Oh God, Daphne. I want. Oh, I got Daphne. I got her. <laughs> Apparently, it is. It takes me a minute, but when I get them, I get them. Um, it's uh, what's her name? Tilda uh, Swinton. No. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 We need to talk about Tilda Daphne. Sw- we'll talk about Tilda Swinton eventually. Don't you get? Don't even get me started. But uh, I'm thinking. Um, also a ginger. The the, the <laughs> uh, I can't remember her character's name. Arrested Development. The assistant of. George Blue oh, Senior, yeah. Judy Greer. Yes, Judy Greer is great. She's perfect. She is perfect. Okay, who else? <laughs> stop, stop going for the paps. Just give us a fucking cast. Amy, man. Amy <laughs> is Alyssa Milano. There we go. <laughs> just great. add somebody. Just put <laughs> there some... you go. Yeah, Alyssa just Milano is way it. too hot for Amy. <laughs> what? Oh, Kyle, I want your uh, your guy from. Uh... God, your, your voice you, got, you did. You got no names today. I got nothing. You put me on the spot, I get shit. I need oh, prep time. Yeah, I didn't send you an email a couple of days ago. That's sure. right. No, the the voice. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I can't fucking do that, it. Man. I don't know. It sounds like Andrew Dice Clay. Uh, Andrew that, Dice Clay would, would be amazing. Not, not Third Rock from the Sun, but the fucking... Uh... Oh, French Stewart? No. <laughs> God damn it. I'm trying to remember the voice you did like two episodes ago. Oh, the guy from... Um... Yes, you're doing it just yes. fine, Dad. Thank you, Jeff. Yes, I'm from Big that Bang Theory. That guy can theory. be Kyle. That's the phone sex guy. I'm Kyle. Yeah, that's great. I need to call Jim my Parsons. girlfriend. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we should have done that for the intro. <laughs> and then Kevin. Kevin! He's just got to be some generic, like, boring guy. So we'll have it be Mike uh, D. I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't think it should Burn. be a name actor for Kevin. No, you know who we should get? We should get Jesse Marlin. The guy who played Elric, the shopkeeper, oh, in Beyond the Gates. Yes, but I think he Remember needs to be the MC. But I think he needs to be no, the MC. No, he would no, have to fight no. Timothy Oliphant yeah. in a death match to the death. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be great though? <laughs> we could start MC. the movie with a death yes, match for a death match. Okay, to the so this death. has just gone no quiet coyote. Uh-huh. All sorts of ways. I'm just stuck with mangy, mangy, mangy glitter. That's all good. You're mangy. Keep it mangy, Sarah. We'll be right back with Jim's pick Hold for on. music. We need to no, cast you stop the old it. Man. What? The old man. Oh yeah, go. The old man. <laughs> we'll be right back. They are abused and neglected. They are abandoned. They are forgotten. They are left for dead in dirty streets and filthy dumpsters or flushed down the toilets of illegal back alley abortion clinics. They are America's unwanted children left without hope or a voice until now. With the Hero House, these helpless creatures finally have a place they can call home. Bernice Abernathy opened Hero House after a 20-year career as a CPS caseworker. After repeatedly seeing the brutal treatment of these defenseless babies, she knew it was her calling to offer them even the smallest glimpse of hope. These children have so much potential. They just need somebody to give them a chance. So I made it my life's purpose to help them achieve their most wanted goals. They have so much moxie and so much pluck. They are very driven individuals. 
Would you say they feel like they have something to prove? Oh, absolutely. Remember, these kids are literally fighting for their lives. The streets are mean enough for quote-unquote normal children, let alone ones that have this prejudice built in against them. They just want the world to see them for who they are and what they're worth, that they can and will contribute to society. They can get discouraged easily, but that's where we come in. What are some of the challenges you have to face in your work? We do get some particularly tough cases that are difficult to place due to their aggressive behavior and all that. One case in particular, he was very malformed, more so than some of our others. Frankly, sometimes they can be very visually off-putting. And I think he kind of resented everyone. He had these long claws and an exaggerated overbite. But you could tell from his eyes that he was hurting deep on the inside. He just had that sad look, you know? Our counselors are specifically trained to help these kids see the value in their lives, and most importantly, that they have friends. Now, he eventually came around, got his GED even, but not without incident. So what happened? Well, he had an unusually long umbilical cord that was still attached to his body. And well, let's just say a couple of the counselors are scarred from it, physically and emotionally. Whoa, okay. It really is hard to keep them in line sometimes, not just the ones that are prone to violent outbursts. Some of them are just too easily distracted. We find them wandering around the building, hiding in bathrooms, stuff like that. We've got one kid staying here now, Billy. We just can't keep him from swimming around in the toilet. But we know he's doing his best. Not only does Hero House provide food and shelter to these unwanted children, they have a plethora of programs devoted to helping them advance their potential and integrate into society. Hero House's counselors are not only emotional support for the kids, but also tutors. We have a wonderful continuing education program, and so many of our kids have gone on to community colleges and vocational schools after we helped them get their GEDs. We're so proud of them. Even after they graduate, we help them transition into the workforce with our job placement program. We have so many success stories. One of those success stories is Malcolm, who came to Hero House after spending several years living in the sewer. The counselors saw Malcolm's propensity to be around water and thought it natural he should train as a plumber. First of all, tell me about living in the sewer. It stinks! It's the sewer! There's garbage and poop! You want to be hanging out with your best friend the rats? I'm sorry, my name is Willard! I don't like rats! So do you, do you enjoy being a plumber? Well, it's all I know, isn't it? It's oh. the only thing I can do! Oh. I am sewer pipes and mess around with pipes and fix pipes! It's all I know! I mean, that's kind of ironic given your situation. You think so, huh? Not surprisingly, Hero House is receiving tremendous support from the community, and it seems they're here to stay. Oh yeah, we got tons of letters from the townspeople, even some from politicians, pillars of the community, as they say. They all praise us for helping their sons and daughters become productive citizens. It's just a matter of time and funding. I'd like to expand into other cities. Billy, get your head out of that commode. For the Splat House Podcast, I'm L.B. Bargeron. You can find me on Twitter at Ghoulie School or on the web at Cinepunks.com. Great. All right, so Sarah, 
We'll do our regular three, two, one, and then we'll hit uh, we'll hit record. Okay. Okay. I'm rolling on my end. You rolling on yours? Rolling. Okay. So three, two, one. Ow. That was a little off. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right. we'll fix it in post. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. No, don't worry about it. Well. reacts, taken aback by the frantic young man bounding toward him. Uh, yes? Dr. Loomis, thank God you're here. You heard her, didn't you? It was Jamie. I'm sorry, but do I know you? I'm Tommy. Tommy Doyle. Laurie Strode, Jamie's mother, she was babysitting for me that night. Loomis suddenly recognizes him. It's been a very long time. <sighs> yes. Tommy, what are you doing here? Please, just tell me the truth. Has Michael Myers come home? Loomis pulls Tommy aside into the empty alcove. What do you know about Michael? I know he's alive. People in this town, they want us to believe he's dead. But I know. (laughs) I've always known. Right now, at least one girl is dead. And Jamie Lloyd is in there fighting for her life. She is the last of his bloodline. If she dies... No, Dr. Loomis. She's not the last. Tommy hesitates. Loomis's eyes are drawn enigmatically to the infant in Tommy's arms. Oh, God. His cousins. The Strodes. They're living in the Myers house. Loomis's face fills with horror. Tommy sees the admittance nurse flanked by a pair of security guards walking his way. Gotta go. Tommy bolts toward the exit. Loomis tries to stop him. Tommy, wait! But he is gone. A hand taps Loomis's shoulder. He reels. When? There you are! Who was that boy? Um, an old friend. Darkness fills his countenance. Scene. We're going to throw it to Russ P. Coltrane T. Firefly, the weird-ass fucking tape. Apparently, our friend that was on the WNUF episode, she used to be a janitor for Thorn. Who knew? Interesting. Uh, we'll listen to that, and uh, we'll be back with a very baked segment. Hey, Russ P. Coltrane T. Firefly here again. Thanks for playing my tape last time. Although I could have done without some of the commentary in your introduction. Half my brain told me maybe you see me as a lark. A phony. A crazy go nuts. But my other half said, listen Russ, you need to use these jerky kids to get the real true word out. 
that side of my brain is on my good side when I get my picture taken. So that's what I'm listening to. Now, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. This one is actually not a documentary. However, Thorn is as real as hell. How do I know? Well, I worked there. I mean, I wasn't in Thorn because frankly, I just don't like tattoos. See, I was a janitor. Well, I was a janitor at the Shriners Temple, actually. Regular janitorial work, and I'd retassel those little hats and do light mechanic work on those little cars they drive around in parades. It was honest, dignified work. Next thing I know, they move, sell the building, and some weird-ass cult moved in. Apparently, they were really into the stone walls that you could attach those wall torches to. Man, I hated those wall torches. People get set on fire so easily when they're running away in terror. <laughs> Let me not get in a corpse cleanup detail, because there but for the grace of God go I. Anyway, this Michael Myers fellow was a real piece of work. Never took off that mask, even though it smelled funny. And I always offered to clean it for him. At least let me spray some Lysol in there. <laughs> no, he'd just stare, raise a knife, and come at me until a random nurse hustled him off. I imagine I'd be dead if he was really interested in it. But he's real waspy about keeping stuff in and adjacent to his family, who must be exhausted. I don't know. Shriners were always really nice to me. Thorn always seemed to have a stick up their collective asses, and they were kind of boring. Also, any organization that puts that much responsibility on a baby is suspect anyway. It's pretty humiliating to leave the compound through a dumpster, too. I don't like metaphors that are too on the nose like that. I also didn't like being forced to have Thorn on my screensaver at home, but you can't accept subtlety with these people. <laughs> anyway, last I heard, the CPA shut Thorn down. I guess they don't look too kindly on baby sacrificing. If you're a real masochist, they still have a Facebook page. But it's mostly bad political memes and people trying to sell sensi. I know these big budget classic horror films make cults look so glamorous. But it's usually a bunch of boring people in boring towns eating cheese and killing innocent folk when the moon looks at them funny. Anyway, I think I can hear them howling now. So I better run. Remember, it's all true. All right, welcome to a little Splat House Chatter. Today we are blessed with the presence of... This is Joe Bob Briggs and you're listening to the Splat House. This is Patrick Bryce. You are listening to the Splat House. This is Arch Hall Jr., and you're listening to The Splat House. This is Wendy Roby, and you are listening to The Splat House. This is Tom Naiman. You're listening to The Splat House. The master approved. This is John Dahl, and you're listening to Splat House. 
Note, the following scene was recorded across the great state of California. In Oakland, California, we have John Terrell reading the role of truck driver, originated by Dwight Yoakam. In Booneyfuck, California, we have Sean Durager playing Michael Williams, originated by Nicolas Cage in Red Rock West. Does that tickle? Because it won't if I pull the trigger. What the hell are you doing on my truck? Sorry, boss. I didn't mean to scare you. (laughs) Do I look scared to you? What the hell are you doing on my truck? Well, I was just trying to ditch my old lady. You were what? Yeah, she caught me in the barn and I wasn't supposed to be there and started sprouting horns and shit. Bullshit. (laughs) Bullshit. Look at that uncontrolled response to bullshit. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, well, I I don't like it either, but I just had to get the hell out of there. So you just climbed up on my truck? Yeah. That's kind of stupid, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but you haven't met my wife. She's spooky. Yeah. Yeah. You're lying to me. Get off my truck. Come on. Get down. Get off. Movies. 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 So what if I still like VHS? I like quality. I say fuck all the rest. You can take your fucking Blu-ray. Shove it up your dick. I like Braveheart. It's yours and shit. It's great freedom. And then I pop on the tape. Pumping up some popcorn. Oh shit, I can't wait. Now I got a pretty pillow and a little red beer. I can't think of any place I'd rather be than here. We got Denzel in the Pelican Breeze. I wanna watch Jurassic Park cause the rappers are sweet. Point break. I'm a boy Keanu Reeves. Don't forget Lori Penny. Straight rock in the breeze. Creep show. Warlock. Twister. Two lies. X-Men. Will Smith. Hermes. Two sleep. Tom Hanks. Ice Cube. I'm Kid. Die Hard. Brad Pitt. Spaceballs. <laughs> Nick Cage. Back again, check it, direct it, let's begin. Party on, party people, let me hear some noise. DC's in the house, jump, jump for joy. Party over here, party over here, with your hands in the air, chicken dairy air. These three words when you're getting busy. Brad, what is this? Four words, go. What's Splatcast, baby? It's the Splatcast! <laughs> oh, that is great. Yes, way back. We need to adjust the uh, audio levels. <laughs> <laughs> peak sandwich right there. Oh, I love a bleeding. I love a peak sandwich. Way back in November, I Mike D was on the Screamcast, one of my favorite podcasts. Really, let's let's talk about how much I love the Screamcast. Uh, I got to be on the Screamcast for the first time officially. Okay, back in November, and part of my very professional 
very fucking chivalrous experience at Screamcast was this very sweet introduction from a one Mr. Sean DeRegger when he introduced me as Mike D from the Splatcast. <laughs> and Brad Brad tries to t- correct Sean. He tries to say, no, it's Splat House, Splat House. And Sean's like, yeah, Mike D from uh, the Splatcast. It's like, bro, not every single fucking <laughs> podcast ends with the word cast. Some of them are houses. Other ones are homes. And other ones are PXs, apparently. I do not yeah. know what the PX is. 90% end in cast. <laughs> but to Sean's point, 90% do end in cast. We really? did some short Google analytics and we found out hey if we took splat which most people are researching online for very different reasons than (laughs) to talk about genre cinema but if we took the word splat and if we added the word cast to it hell magic would be born okay all right no i'll i'll hear the argument right the only thing that makes him a ladies man in my opinion is the ladies wig that he wears right but i want to yes like Sarah just led us to, let's talk about sex, baby. Go. Right. Victoria enters Jay's room. He's in bathtub. Creepy, new age music guru voice on recording, in background, something about cobwebs of desire. Who's there? Ah, it's only me. Who's me? Victoria sulks to bathroom door with finger in mouth. Hi. Oh, hi, Victoria. Come on in. What's up? I thought I'd come in for a visit. I couldn't sleep. Oh, yeah? Take a hot bath. It will relax you. Drops soap. You can have it after me. What's the gold thing on your bed? Oh, a pyramid grid. You know, like the ancient Egyptian pyramids? They harness cosmic energy and they give off an electromagnetic field. It's called pyramid power. Hmm. So that's what you're into. Size. Mm, No, not really. Actually, I'm into harnessing cosmic energy so that I can learn the secrets of the universe. What do you want to know that for? Because I have to know the truth to find out who I really am. That's what it's really all about. Scornfully. You know who you are. You're Jim. You know, my landlord. Laughs. (laughs) Marinating in bubble baths. No, 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 no. It's not like that. We are consciousness. We are light. We are energy. We're eternal. Not just a momentary body that lives for a few years and then dies. Nothing dies. Nothing dies? No. How can energy die? Even the scientists know that. Well, I I know it changes, right? Right. It rearranges, changes. Nothing, nothing dies. We are consciousness, ever-expanding consciousness. Isn't that a beautiful way to think of it? Yeah. You're here now. What more do you need to know? Hmm. No, that's just the illusion. This place is not real. It's not real? No. See, reality has to be eternal and forever unchanging. This place, here, changes all the time. Every moment is change itself. Reality has to be that thing that is forever expanding, never changing. Look, we are the light. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Look, just take your fingers and press on your eyes. Tell me what you see. Victoria does so. I see a bunch of stars and lights. There you are. The light is inside, see? But any kid, I mean, I used to do that as a kid. Everyone does that. Yeah, that's it. Everybody knows that we are the light. Everybody knows it. Watch. Jim begins to twiddle fingers. Soap begins to levitate out of bath and then a drops. You made that soap move. Yeah, it's just... Where are the strings? Come on. (laughs) No strings. You mean you just made it move with your brain? Yeah, it's focus, mental focus for the mind. I heard about it. I only thought that those ghouls or whatever in the high mountains could do stuff like that. Eh, everybody can do it. It's easy. All you have to do is focus. See the object in your mind. Think very specifically about that object, and then in your mind make it move. And if you have enough concentration, it works. Snaps fingers. Just like that. Anybody can do it? Sure. Victoria tries to lift soap. Mm. With her brain. It's not working. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Rome wasn't built in a day. Come on, that's just a byproduct. The real search is inside to find out who I really am. You wrote about Before Midnight, but you haven't seen it? No, I wrote about I haven't seen the last one. Fucking explain yourself. (laughs) She hasn't seen the last of the trilogy, for God's sake. Yeah, save it. Don't oh, do I it. will. Don't do it. Is this Save a it. Twilight thing? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. We're back to Twilight, everybody. We're back to Twilight. Something I did think was interesting about this movie uh-huh. is that every scene had to be done in English and in Spanish. Wow. Did you know that? I read that in the interwebs. It said that every scene had to be shot twice, once in English, once in Spanish, in order to ensure that the dubbing in either language would be matched properly. That's fucking rad. That's just responsible filmmaking. It's totally responsible filmmaking. But I want to see like like Angel and like what's his name? Well, was it in Spanish? John John Saxton. <laughs> was it in Spanish though? Because Brazil, they don't really speak Spanish. But that's there. what I mean. It just says English and Spanish here. Huh? Yeah. What a racist. <laughs> The whole first part of this movie where he white explains what he's doing with the honey and the killer bees is pretty hilarious because he does it in a, like a quote unquote Spanish accent. It's like he doesn't say Do it. it in Spanish. Do no. It. Do oh, it. no. I know what you're talking Do about it. when he's just like, <laughs> he's like, I know make honey bees. Oh, my God. That's I right. make bees pretty good for oh village now. Oh and my you God. will like bees once I have the bees taken <laughs> Isn't care of. Isn't that the whole point? He's making killer bees into nice bees. Well, that's well, the whole. Yeah. We missed that in yeah. our synopsis. <laughs> like the whole point is, is that he's taking these killer bees and he's changing their DNA so that they're so that they're supposed to be nice bees. Exactly. Um, it's during the process of which he kills a bunch of them, um, and then the uncle learns how to communicate with them. So he's communicating with the bees like he learns their language and starts starts like <laughs> at them and realizing that they have like different vocal patterns and like how they direct each other through their body, but also through the different buzzing noises they're making. And so that's a big part at the end is that the bees have learned to communicate and we're just not listening to the bees. Um, 
Because the bees saying, could. That's probably why Angel left her husband to be with Saxon, is because the way he talked to <laughs> oh, those poor Brazilian died. villagers. <laughs> Not the fact that he died. What do you, <laughs> what think, do you Mike? think, Mr. Delaney? <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we are. <laughs> do you want to do like a little back and forth? All right, let's do it. We are not going up your butt today because tomorrow is a better day to go up your butt. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. I wear my butt plug in public. Anything we have after uh, me saying deuce. Deuce! Leave a message at the beep. But don't be a message monster hogging on my tape. And now for something completely different. Oh, wow. Interesting. I've never thought of yellow as being an erotic color. I've always thought of it as being a happy color or, like I said, being a warning color, but never an erotic color. It's the color of The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. 